Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Franick, the TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is episode 45, and it's being brought to you today by DraftKings. The second round is in full swing, and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. Now, to give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day. The best part is that it is free to play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games, and then track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So, Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. And so with the Grizzlies out of the playoffs, you might wonder, gentle listener, what we're going to talk about. Well, actually, today I'm going to let Michael Wallace of Grind City Media do most of the talking. Michael Wallace has been around the NBA for a long time, newspaper man in Washington, uh, writing for ESPN during the LeBron era in South Beach. And he is very, very well connected. And he's got some very strong opinions on What's going on in the NBA playoffs? We've had some surprises so far, particularly Brooklyn just dominating Milwaukee in the first two games of their series. Uh, And also, what happens to LeBron James? I mean, Michael Wallace did cover LeBron James for a number of years when he was down in Miami, so we'll get some insight as to uh, what LeBron may be up to going forward and how his career may progress. LeBron James in the very unusual circumstance of not getting out of the first round of the NBA playoffs. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Michael also has thoughts about uh, what the Grizzlies need to do from a front office perspective. It was a good season. We all know that. Michael agrees with that. We talk about the season that just was, but also have to take a look forward because uh, the Grizzlies, it'd be an intriguing offseason. They do not have any free agents that are up uh, in you know prime rotational players that are free agents. So you're not going to have the issue of, well, we're going to sign somebody to an offer sheet and then we have to wait and see if the other team is going to match. Uh, None of that for the Grizzlies this season. So they don't really have any big-time free agent issues to deal with. But uh, they've got a lot of guys who gave them rotational minutes this year. And not everybody's going to be back. So you're going to have to make some changes. And how do you upgrade this team? We'll also talk about Justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson Jr. and their futures with the ball club as well. So that comes up in today's edition of Friend of the Program. In the meantime, let's tackle a couple of NBA league-wide issues. And as I record this, uh, it has just been announced by the Utah Jazz that Mike Conley will not be available for Game 1 of the Jazz series with the Los Angeles Clippers. A little bit of a shock here. Understanding that Mike Conley missed, I think, 20 games during the regular season with hamstring issues, whether it was either the injury or trying to uh, limit his minutes and so that he was held out of you know one game of a back-to-back to try to rest that hamstring. Mike's had hamstring issues 
for a number of years. Struck me as a little bit of a surprise that he would not be available for game one when you consider that the Jazz eliminated the Grizzlies in five, and meanwhile the Clippers took forever, i.e. seven games, to get by the Dallas Mavericks. Also, Mike did not play the second half of Game 5. And when he did not start the second half of Game 5 in Salt Lake City, Brevin and I looked at each other and figured, well, they're so far ahead, there's no need to put him back on the floor just trying to give him some extra rest. Apparently, that hamstring injury must be more problematic than we surmised at the time. So Mike Conley will not play in Game 1 of the Jazz and the Clippers. Should be a very interesting series. Clippers, maybe they have now found their stride, uh, winning the last two games of the Dallas series, winning at Dallas, and then closing out the Mavericks at home. Are they starting to figure some things out? Reggie Jackson was very good in Game 7. Of course, Kawhi Leonard, fantastic. Paul George, fantastic. I mean, this is a good Clippers team. They have been inconsistent. They have been maddeningly inconsistent. Will they become consistent when they take on the Utah Jazz, and how much will the Jazz miss Mike Conley? They're going to miss him quite a bit. Donovan Mitchell certainly is a capable playmaker. We we saw that particularly in Game 5 after Conley went out. But it also provides an opportunity for Joe Ingles to be a distributor of the basketball. Joe Ingles did not shoot the ball very well in the month of May, didn't shoot it particularly well or with a lot of frequency in the series against the Grizzlies. Joe Ingles, George Niang, I think are going to be very, very important pieces for the Utah Jazz in this series against the Los Angeles Clippers. Both of these teams... Very, very reliant on the three. I think the team that wins the three-point battle is certainly going to have a leg up on whoever gets to the Western Conference Finals. Two of the most prolific three-point shooting teams in the league in terms of the number of shots they take, the accuracy with which they hit those shots, and therefore the reliance they have on the three ball. So the three ball probably going to be the determining factor in this series. Also, just as uh, I started to hit record on this uh, podcast, Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets named the MVP. The MVP, and, and those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a period of time, you know I had Jared Greenberg of Turner Sports on here, and we talked about the whole most valuable player criteria and how difficult it is sometimes to get your arms around who is the most valuable player in the NBA. It's a little different than the NCAA, which would award a most outstanding player. That's maybe a little bit more clear-cut. But when you talk about value uh, by a player to a team, some things that you have to consider. Number one, the team has to be successful. And then you have to look at that player's role in the overall success of that team. And I've always felt that when you're trying to decide who the most valuable player is, one way that you could look at it, you could look at it from the flip side. How much would team A suffer if player X weren't on that team? That might be one way to look at it. You look at the Denver Nuggets and see how successful they were this year, how they were able to complete the season without Jamal Murray and still were able to maintain their position in the Western Conference. And you look at Nikola Jokic, who gets more touches of the basketball than any player in the NBA, Someone who is a triple-double threat every time he touches the ball, and he touches the ball more than anybody else in the NBA. Therefore, by deductive reasoning, I would tell you, and I would believe that he is the most impactful player to his team. And when you consider 
how many games Denver has won and what a successful season they have had, at least in the regular season, and now into the second round of the NBA playoffs as they take on the Phoenix Suns, who beat them in Phoenix in game one. It just tells me that it's a fairly straightforward vote for Nikola Jokic. Obviously, people are going to disagree. It's a free country. Go ahead, disagree. It's okay. I don't care. But if I had a vote, which I don't, Nikola Jokic would have gotten my vote for most valuable player in the NBA this year. And just parenthetically, for those of you who wonder about how the voting process is right now, basically it is national and uh, local media members who are not affiliated with the team. It used to be back in the day, probably about four years ago, as recently as four years ago, the team media were able to vote. I had a vote. Eric Hasseltine, the radio announcer for the Grizzlies, had a vote because we saw every game so we you know theoretically saw every player every team at least twice um but there was the fear that with so many incentives uh, incentive clauses in contracts being tied to postseason awards there was some thought that the local broadcasters might be influenced uh by the contract status of a particular player and they felt that there might be some kind of wonky votes given that. We've seen some pretty wonky votes after they took the votes away from the local broadcasters. Neither here nor there, but uh, I enjoyed uh, voting for the postseason awards, took it very seriously, studied, uh, and did my very best. But uh, don't have that vote anymore. Anyway, in any event, if I had a vote, and I don't, uh, Nikola Jokic would have been my choice for the MVP in the NBA this season. And uh, that's an abbreviated version of some NBA news and notes. And we'll move on with the program and tell you that today's show is being sponsored by the Hoop City Basketball Club. They've been assisting young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 and developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability since 2005. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. Contact information. You can follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. Uh, they are also online at HoopCityBC.com. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. And we do need to tell you that they've got a lot of stuff coming up this summer. The Summer League for 1st through 8th grades. Uh, the, the registration closes on June 21st. The league itself is going to start on June 13th. So you do have some time to get your young person uh, involved in this. And uh, in case you're wondering, uh, the registration is based on the current grade for the 2020-21 school year. First and second graders get to play on eight and a half foot goals, which is pretty much my height. That's where I should be playing. Two practices, one game per week minimum. Uh, Games will be once a week from June 13th through July 22nd. Games will be at Memphis University School, Collierville High School, St. Benedict at Auburndale, and other local area gyms. They will have a tournament July 27th through the 29th, and the players will play in the Jack Jones League. For that, contact Buffy Kersey at 901-604-4385, or you can get to her at hoopcitybc at gmail.com. Also want to tell you that there are camps available, including the Desmond Bain Shooting Camp. There are going to be a couple of sessions of this. First session also going to start on June 21st and go through the 24th. Age ranges 5 to 14. Uh, The event fees $225 for the camp, $255 if you're including lunch on those days. Registration will close on June 
21st. It'll run from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. The first camp is going to be held at Collierville Parks and Recreation on West Powell Road. Uh, if you sign up by June 14th, the registration is $225. If you sign up after that, it's $295. The camp includes a couple of uh, Grizzlies game tickets, 28 hours of expert instruction with drills, skill development, contests, and games, a Desmond Bain camp t-shirt, a certificate of achievement at the end of camp. They will have an award ceremony as well. They do predict that this camp will sell out. Desmond Bain had a really good year, very good shooter, great, great guy. I would I would certainly recommend that if you've got a young person who's interested that, that you get them signed up for this. I think Desmond Bain is going to do a great job with this camp. Scott Robinson is a contact person. Get a hold of Scott Robinson at area code 317-490-5948 or at hoopcitycamps at yahoo.com. You can get information on this camp and the other camps that are being operated by Hoop City Basketball this summer. There are other camps uh, available as well uh, at the Independent Presbyterian Church and Desmond Bain Shooting Camp Number 2 is going to be in July, July 26th through the 29th. Same basic information, but those are the dates for that. So our thanks to uh, Ernie Kuyper and all the great people at Hoop City Basketball Club for their continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Enough of me blathering on. It's time to hear from one of the all-time best people in the NBA, great NBA insider, great friend. Thrilled to have him here in Memphis where he does fantastic work for Grind City Media. You can check him out on Twitter at MyMikeCheck, uh, and you can check him out at GrindCityMedia.com and Grizzlies.com. Fantastic writer, great reporter, very, very well connected. And he's our friend of the program today, Michael Wallace. Michael, first question I have to ask you, obviously, is about the, the Memphis Grizzlies. 38 and 34 in the regular season. They win the play-in tournament. Was that pretty much what you had anticipated when we were finally able to tip the season off in, in late December? Well, I mean, it depends on how you look at it, the season, because the uh, prognosticators had the Grizzlies doing far worse than that. And, you know, once you figured out, and that was before that we really knew and had a handle on uh, what the injury situation was going to be, where guys were going to line up in terms of who was going to be available and who wasn't. Um, so so the, the bar was set pretty low. And I think that only gave more room for the Grizzlies to exceed expectations. So when you look at it, for me, I think, uh, winning that home play-in tournament game against San Antonio met expectation. And then I think everything that happened after that, going to Golden State, winning game one against Utah, uh, that pushed us way ahead of the curve. And I think that sped up uh, some of the, uh, the, the the excitement and the energy and, and, and the curve, frankly, for the Grizzlies. Well, you talk about Jaron and Justice basically being the two big injury issues for the Grizzlies entering this season. You know, Jaron was limited to, you know, not much more than, you know, 10 or 12 uh, regular season games and then the playing in the playoffs. Did we see enough from Jaron to get a real accurate read on, on where he's going and what he can be going forward? Or is it just too small a sample size? It, it's, it really is too small of a sample size, Pete, because, you know, again, this isn't just a, a one-year situation with Jaron. I mean, Jaron has been in the league for three seasons now, and each of those three seasons has been impacted at one stage or another by a significant uh, uh, loss of games because of injuries. Um, and, and you don't want that trend to, to continue, certainly. We, we see the upside. We see all of the things that made him uh, a top five pick in this draft. Uh, we see all the, the evidence of, of why he's going to be an uh, impact player on the, in this franchise and in this league moving forward. Uh, but, but, but you want to see the durability, right? You want to see the durability. And 
you know, especially with big guys like that, we've seen these kind of injuries take guys. I mean, Anthony Davis has been dealing with this for, for the better part of his career, being in and out of lineups, um, you know, dealing with these kind of things. But Jaron is so young. He's only 21 and his body is still coming together. So you hope that once he gets that body fully uh, <laughs> to the full growth spurt potential, that then he can sort of level off and, and get the kind of uh, legs under him that we can see. But it's still I, the sky's still the limit for Jaron. But I just think we still need to see more to know exactly how he plays alongside Jonas Valanciunas, how he sort of feeds off of John Morant and, and where he sort of fits in the whole thing when it comes to the pecking board. See, and I think that's the real reason. And I think the good decision that was made by Jaron and his family and by the Grizzlies to repair the meniscus rather than take it out because yeah. he hopefully has a very long career ahead of him. And they were certainly taking the long view of that. The and other I'll guy, give you, I'll give you a quick, a quick mm-hmm. uh, anecdote to that too. Um, I, I remember talking to uh, Dwayne Wade, um, you know, back in Miami and, and he faced the same injury uh, and repair going back to his days coming out of Marquette and getting into the league early. And a lot of guys in the NBA take the quicker version to get back and, and they, and they, you know, replace it and you never get that back so what that does is it brings about early onset tendonitis and lingering knee issues uh, for the duration of your career with Jaron being so young repairing it gives it a chance to have a better long-term success rate uh, for stability and holding up so I didn't I didn't mean to interrupt you but there is certainly a, a, a debate that can be made on, on what was best. And I think he took the best path as well. Feel free to interrupt anytime you can name drop <laughs> Dwayne Wade. That, that, that's all cool. Well, I, I want to follow up on that. I'm going to get to Justice Winslow in a second because that was the second major injury issue for the Grizzlies. Joel Embiid. Yeah. You know, there, there's meniscus damage there. And in the midst of a playoff series, they're saying like, well, we're going to manage it with physical therapy. And I mean, we don't know the ins and outs of it, but. I'm not sure that that's really the right way to deal with it if you're looking at the long term for for Embiid, but I, I don't know. I'm not on the Philly medical staff, but I, I just thought it was rather interesting that they said, "Well, he has a he has a you know meniscus tear, so we're going to manage it with physical therapy." That that to me just seems a bit odd, given what we learned from the Jaron situation and, and the Dwayne Wade situation you re, you referenced. Yeah, and and you know obviously other guys too. I remember Antonio Dice and obviously Amari Stoudemire. Those guys had what was back then called microfracture. But it started with meniscus damage and, and it just sort of, you know, built up to something that was more major because you're, you're dealing with, you know, sort of the rehab, the recovery, the inflammation and, and all of those kind of things. And once you once you go down that path, it's hard to go back uh, to reversing everything at that point. But no, I mean, that, that's a curious uh, dilemma that they're, they're, they're dealing with in Philadelphia with be because he's had issues before. And now he's in the middle of his career, you know, t- towards, towards the peak. Physically, he is what he is at this point, and you sort of give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of knowing how to manage his body. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, these are all delicate questions that you ask, especially when you talk about big guys. Yeah, and it, it, there are never uh, there are never any easy or or clear cut answers. We're yeah. talking with Michael Walsh of Grind City Media, longtime NBA insider. And we're going to talk about more than injuries. Trust me. Eventually, we'll get to some <laughs> other stuff. But we, we we do have to talk about the Justice Winslow situation because so much was expected of Justice as being the Swiss Army knife type player uh i was talking with assistant coach brad jones when the team was in the bubble and he was telling me you can't believe how good he's playing right now how well he's playing right now and how much he can bring to this team then the hip injury that was sustained in orlando real long rehab tough injury to come back from and then (coughs) some inconsistent performance frankly on on his part and 
you know, part of you wants to pass judgment on what you saw, but then you realize he's coming back from injury. He's trying to integrate to a brand new lineup. Uh, just, just, and, and then the Grizzlies and two are faced with a very important decision, having a team option uh, on his contract. So uh, you, you've been calling games alongside Eric Hasseltine. You watch the games like, like Brevin and I have uh, give me your, your take on justice Winslow. And, and you know what? I hate to keep going back and reflecting on my days in Miami, but my last year in Miami was Winslow's rookie season, right? Uh-huh. Through the draft. And, um, you know, I, I know what Miami saw in him. I, I know why they picked him. I mean, look, LeBron James had just left and departed and went back to Cleveland, and they wanted to maintain the playing style and, and the scheme that Eric Spolstra had with sort of a big forward, ball handling kind of guy, physical presence. So when they looked at Winslow, they saw some of the same attributes. Um, and obviously LeBron James is out of this world physically, but in terms of what a, a stunt double might look like in terms of that situation, you're, you're looking at a similar type build frame. Um, they said Winslow's a couple inches shorter, but having said that, uh, I've seen Winslow and, and I, I know exactly what Brad Jones was talking about when it came to how he operates in practice. He knows the game. He can finish with either hand. He defends a, a, as one of the better two-way defenders in the league. And oh, by the way, he can run your offense from out top. Uh, and, and be a great playmaker. We've seen those flashes. And in a lot of ways, it's like Jaron. You, know, um, you know, we know what the upside looks like, but can he say, stay on the floor long enough to sustain it? And that's a big-time question. So, you know, when you look at where the Grizzlies are right now, uh, having to make that decision on uh, his contract, uh, $13 million team option for next year, I think financially and, and, and strategically, that decision is, is one thing. Uh, whether he's an absolute fit for the Grizzlies is another decision all in itself. So I think there's a path in which they can bring him back, pick up the extension, I mean, pick up the uh, the option and then figure out what they want to do going forward while still giving Justice a chance to figure out where he is this offseason. This offseason is going to be key for Justice Winslow. He's got to stay healthy. Jaron Jackson Jr. has got to stay healthy and they got to hit training camp 100% ready to show what they can do in the first couple months of the season before we get to the trade deadline. Exactly. And we're dealing with a much shorter off season than we normally would. Yeah. And it, w- it was an interesting point Zach Kleiman brought up. And of course, in his postseason media availability, Zach was not going to commit to any contractual issues, whether or not the, the team was right. leaning toward picking up the option or not, which is, which is certainly understandable. One of the points that he made is you looked at the development of Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman without having summer league. Yeah. And now we, we will have summer league this year in, in early August. I know Desmond Bain has said that he'll be there. I would imagine Xavier will be there as well. Yeah. Both will be there. Both will be playing. And I just, I thought they did a remarkable job and it also speaks to, Hey, it's nice to have guys who aren't one and done guys who are more physically and, and mentally ready to play in the NBA. And they, they were rookies that did not play like rookies, especially when we got to the second half of the season. I, I thought they were, I thought they were fantastic tip of the cap to the, to the uh, performance staff of the Grizzlies as well and player development staff. But those two guys really, really, I thought, exceeded expectations. And, and it is. And, and, I, and, you know, talking to Zach Klein in, uh, in the postgame, uh, excuse me, postseason Zoom, um, you know, he really gave, gave a, a lot of credit to Chris Macris and, and, you know, the basketball scouting department for, for identifying, you know, sort of veteran college players who can step in physically and think on their feet and, and make the transition as seamlessly as possible to the NBA. Now, under normal circumstances, that's that's remarkable in and of itself. But to do it without a training camp, to do it with with very limited interactions with coaches and, and not even having a chance to come into your facility for several weeks at a time, these guys hit the ground running and, and they were immediate rotation players for the most part. So, 
you know, it's going to be uh, uh, remarkable to see their development. And, and I think both of those guys have proven that, you know, some of the guys that got drafted ahead of them or that was positioned ahead of them in the depth chart, there's going to be some competition uh, for those spots. And uh, I love what Desmond Bain brings. I think he led, he led the team in three-point shooting and also was a top rookie three-point shooter uh, in terms of percentage. And, and Xavier Tillman, man, that was a guy that Taylor Jenkins trusted more and more as the season progressed to the point where, you know, he didn't have any hesitations at all putting him out there uh, in the midst of some tough games down coming down the stretch. I, I love listening to Xavier in his media availabilities because what yeah. he's like 22, 23, and he sounds like he's 33. And I, and I don't, and I mean that in the most positive sense. And <laughs> he just brought it, he brought a gravitas and, yes, um, yes. and a maturity level that you typically don't see from, from an NBA rookie. So this well, I'll is, tell you what, I'll tell you what though, Pete, but he also has sort of the physical natures of, of a guy much older, right? He's like yeah. us, man. He's got some hairline <laughs> challenges. I'm not going to say he's got some hairline challenges. Uh, he's married. He has kids. He pays taxes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's, not, he's not your typical NBA rookie by any no, stretch of the not, imagination. He's not. He's a grown man in every sense of the word. <laughs> so with, with this Grizzlies group, you had a team that had, I think, 13 different guys be a leading scorer at one point. Some of that due yeah. to injuries. But th- this was a deep roster, and the depth was tested with the injuries and with the 40 games in, in 68 days. You like this roster. It's it's a good roster. They got you into the playoffs. You have to like it. But still, you've got some moves to be made. You've, you've got to figure out ways to improve. And it's not like this will be drama-free in the offseason because the Grizzlies don't have any restricted free agents that, that well, we got to wait and see if somebody's going to bid on them, and then we got to match. So where do the Grizzlies where do the Grizzlies improve? Is it the draft? Is it a trade? How did How do they take that next step? Because I can't imagine that, that you would stand totally pat with this roster. There are always changes on rosters. There, there are. There are. And, and the Grizzlies have positioned themselves ideally because Zach Kleiman, Rich Cho, Tayshawn Prince, Chris Macris, they all did their work early, right? So at, at a time when they would have been going into this summer trying to figure out uh, what to do with Dylan Brooks, they got him on an absolute bargain deal, which has turned out because Dylan absolutely played above and beyond uh, what, what his contract value is. You probably would have almost had to pay a premium price to bring Dylan back at this point and compete with other teams uh, in restricted free agency for the guy at this stage. But now you already have him locked up. That was one decision. Another one was the Justice Winslow, which gave you the option to put off free agency for another year. And then everybody else you have to make decisions on, um, you know, the Grayson Allens, the Jonas Valanciunas's, you know, Kyle Anderson, all those guys come off after next season. So you got 13 players under contract going uh, through next season at the very least. The two key things you got to do is figure out what is going to happen with, obviously, Justice Winslow, as we talked about, with your team option, which you still control, and Jaron Jackson Jr. He's eligible for the extension uh, this season that can pay him upwards of $170 million, $80 million over five years. Back to your original question. Have you seen enough to commit that level of years and money to him at this point? I think you almost have to because of where he's going to slot himself into. You know, obviously, Luka Doncic at three in that draft is going to get the major max. Trey Young at five is going to get the major max. And then Jaron Jackson is sandwiched between those two guys at four. So we'll see where it goes from there. But uh, no, no, I think the, the, the core of the question that you asked is this. How do the Grizzlies consolidate? Um, they got three guys at their shooting guard spot in DeAnthony Melton, Grayson Allen, and uh, Desmond Bain. Can they consolidate that? package it with one of the picks that they have they'll have the number 17 pick and number 51 in this upcoming draft I think they need to do something to, to consolidate the rotation a little bit more but get another veteran who has playoff experience to help this team take the next step 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I understand the reason and the rationale last year for moving Solomon Hill uh, and also moving Jay Crowder. I think this team, if they missed one thing, it was that that OG. I mean, because for the longest time, until the Grizzlies signed um, Tim Frazier, they did not have a player over 29, right. which, which right. is virtually unheard of in this league. And third youngest and one of the only one of the top six youngest teams by average age to even make the playoffs. Speaking of which, um, you stunned at how dominant Brooklyn has been in the first two games against Milwaukee. I mean, Milwaukee with championship aspirations, and they've been totally dismantled by this Brooklyn group. They have, they have, and they've done that with, with Brooklyn missing, you know, one of their stars, one of their, you know, absolute, the guy that really got Brooklyn uh, going to this level. And, and that's James Harden. I mean, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving had been in and out with injury issues before then. So James Harden carried the bulk of the load coming down the stretch after the all-star break. And now he's out. I'm surprised because I thought Milwaukee will be much more competitive defensively. They played them pretty evenly and pretty well during the regular season uh, when those two teams met uh, at, at that stage. But now, you know, at the end of the day, Brooklyn did what they had to do and took the first two games at home. But the manner in which they won those games, there's not a lot of optimism. Now, you know, again, is this series over? No, it's far from it. I think Milwaukee will have a chance to go back home and, and try to do some damage and get themselves back into this series. Uh, but this was to me, this was the de facto NBA finals in, in my mind, because I thought whichever team came out of this series was going to go on and win it all. And uh, I still kind of believe that. But I hoped and I thought it was going to be a little bit more competitive than what we've seen at the start. Yeah, hopefully we will see a little bit better competitive balance in that series. Yeah. Let's flip flop over to the West for a second, because I know you covered LeBron James for a period of time in Miami and LeBron James not getting out of the first round is is, re <laughs> yeah. is remarkable. And the Laker team that I think at, at some point people felt were the, not a prohibitive favorite, but a big favorite to, to repeat as NBA champions. Obviously, the Anthony Davis injury was big. They were never really able to make anything up. So is it the decline of the Lakers or was it the fact that Monty Williams has the Phoenix Suns playing at a ridiculously high level uh, and, and getting back to the playoffs for the first time in a long time? I think it's yes and yes. It's both. Like both, <laughs> both of those things can be absolutely true, Pete. And, and you know, yes, I, I, I have covered LeBron for a long time in this league. It's, it's, it's amazing to see 18 years in now he's finally looking mortal. You know what I'm saying? Now he's finally – the injuries are starting to – uh, take their toll on his availability. Uh, the Lakers should have never gone into this playoffs as, as a number seven seed, right? They should have never done that. And, and, and under normal circumstances, they would be in a more favorable matchup in the first round. So the injuries put them in a situation where their backs were against the wall and they had to fight just to make it in. If they were going to go out in the first round, it probably would have been better if they just didn't make it at all. And at least you can get into the lottery and, and, and strike lucky or, or something like that. But, um, you know, the, I'm, I'm wondering because I don't really trust Anthony Davis ability to stay healthy. And LeBron is at age 36, 37, 38. How much more do they have? Do they have another legitimate shot? If they stand pat, they're going to have to get some other big time star to come uh, and join them just to make sure they can get through a season. And, uh, but I would love to see how that transpires this off season, but no, Monty Williams, man. And see, this is another connection I have because Monty Williams and I went to the same high school. He was a varsity star as a 12th grader when I was a ninth grade JV scrub at the time. So I was on the front of the bus. He was on the back <laughs> of the high school games at Potomac high school, uh, right outside of DC. Um, I'm loving what I see uh, from how he coaches. He needed this kind of roster. Chris Paul has done his part. Aiden has developed. Um, obviously Booker is taking his game to the next level and give my guy, James Jones, some credit. Talk about another connection, Miami, right, Miami. James Jones was a guy that 
you know, people were skeptical of him getting that job. And then in three years, he's turned that team around by making some prudent moves uh, underneath the owner that not a lot of people had a lot of support for. So this is a great thing for Phoenix. And I'm happy to see Monty get his chance to uh, do something big like this. And Monty Williams is a Notre Dame guy. I'll throw that in. When, and when you talk about a guy, you know, who has overcome issues, yes. you know, had, had the irregular heartbeat issue at Notre Dame, they did not want him to play. Eventually he did come back. He did play, right. played in the NBA uh, and as part of that Greg Popovich coaching tree and suffered just an unspeakable tragedy in his personal life with the loss, yeah. loss of his, his wife and, and, and a child or children in, in a car accident. And, uh, you know, took some time off and is just very, very well respected no matter what. Um, you were talking about LeBron James and how much longer does LeBron James keep keep hanging on? I mean, he's, he's he would want to go out on a high point because that that's kind of who he is. That's his mentality. But mm-hmm. unless you get uh, unless you get that stud free agent coming into the Lakerland, which is not unheard of, how how, how much longer is LeBron for this league? Well, I mean, he's two years into that four-year contract. So I think this contract takes him right up to age 39 season or something like that. Um, and, and you know, again, he, the, the question more so is, I think he can play and sustain all the way through this contract, but what's his usage rate have to be? Like, I don't think he can, he can continue to be the highest usage rate player on, on the Lakers team right now. That's got to get through an 82-game season next year and then go through the rigors of the playoffs. He needs to be trending back towards playing more like 60 games a year, getting 20 off or 15 off, taking regular, you know, days off or whatever, just to make sure he's, he's capable of playing in the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I think he could do it. I don't, I don't know what it's like for LeBron not to be able to do it. Right. right. So it's almost like until you see him not do it, um, then you, then you can start to wonder that, but you know, this guy is still head and shoulders above the rim when he's jumping uh, his three point shooting is, is, is gotten better late at the later stages of his career. And competitively, he knows when to take over games. So he's picking his moments at the right time. I, I say he can he can still be a peak player for these the last two years of this contract, no question. But he's going to need some help, though. Yeah, it's almost like a Chris Paul. Chris Paul doesn't have to be the guy right. in Phoenix, but he he can be that veteran leader. A leader. We're talking with Michael Wallace of Bryan City Media, longtime NBA insider. Uh, the other question that that kind of flowed from LeBron needs help is, and this question was asked of Zach Kleiman in in the postseason Zoom media availability. The presence of Ja and Jaron. Do you think Memphis now becomes a more highly sought after uh, destination for free agents? Because Memphis is a small market team, doesn't doesn't have all the banners, doesn't have all the Hall of Famers, doesn't have all the retired jerseys. Do you think Memphis is going to become a more heavily desired free agent situation going forward? I think Memphis can, but I think it's more about what Memphis already has, right? Um, Memphis in and of itself isn't necessarily a, a big time attraction as a free agent market. I mean, I'm not, you know, breaking any news there, right? They're, they're not on the coast or anything like that. They're not in a real, you know, a sexy region when it comes to uh, players wanting to be and, and have vacation homes and all of that. But, but, no, they, in, but, but no state income tax. No state income <laughs> Import, tax. Important, important to mention that. That, <laughs> that. that is very key. Florida has that too. So you got two franchises there. And also Texas has that with three franchises there. So when you add all that in, um, you know, Memphis is going to be attractive because people want to come play with Ja and Jaren. They want to be, they're going to be attractive because someone can say, you know what? I'm a shooting guard. This team needs a shooting guard. And I have a big man in Jonas that's there. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a budding star who's under contract or will be for a long time. Ja is still under his rookie scale contract. And these guys already are in the playoffs. 
So what can I do to help myself get to a, help a team get to the next level? And I think that's what's going to make Memphis attractive. Smart front office, uh, brilliant performance team. Um, they don't they don't spare any any cost in terms of making the franchise where it needs to be. And you get a, you get to play with a guy that, you know, is going to be a household name if he's not already really soon in John Morant. So that attraction is going to bring free agents or for guys that should be free agents. They're going to look at Memphis a lot more than they probably did in the past. Mike, I'm going to leave you with, with this question. A coaching change that is had been rumored for some time. The rumblings had been there, and, and it finally yeah. comes to fruition. And, of course, that's Terry Stotts in Portland. Terry, one of the nicest people in the NBA. Um, but, you know, sooner or later, you can't get out of the first round, and you've got stars like Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Eventually, somebody's going to have to have to pay the price for that. Yeah. What, what are you hearing about a possible replacement? I mean, Lillard says, I want to be involved. I'm going to be involved, but not that much. It's not my decision, but I really would like Jason Kidd. Uh, <laughs> how, how, it's kind of suss out this whole, this whole situation in the Pacific Northwest because, I mean, this is a team where, you know, Damian Lillard is getting – he's in the prime of his career – and certainly an all-star talent, C.J. McCollum, an all-star level talent. They've had injury issues. So, so what's the answer uh, if you're up in the Pacific Northwest as far as a head coach is concerned? You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where now he already got the job because he's doing a remarkable job in terms of stepping in midseason for Lloyd Pierce and taking Atlanta to this level. But Nate McMillan would have been perfect going back there, right? I mean, it just seems like the kind of veteran voice you need to take a team, give them a little bit more toughness, uh, and he, he knows that region, obviously, but I'm not saying he's going to leave Atlanta now because Atlanta's probably going to lock him up. They need to if they haven't already done so. Um, the thing I, I will say about Damian Lillard, and I've said this on a couple national shows that I've been on recently, is that he's striking. Now he's at the level where very few players get to where they have the leverage over the franchise because of what they've put in. Damian Lillard has skins on the wall in Portland and in that Northwest region. He's embraced it. He's talked about, I don't want to have to go anywhere else. I'm happy here. Uh, this team came up around him. And if Damian Lillard speaks, the Portland Trailblazers and that Blazer fan base will listen. And if he says, look, I, I, did, I did what I could here. It's time to move on. You got to say, OK, respectfully, Damian, he did everything he could for us. The problem is players aren't necessarily that great at recruiting and picking coaches. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. not that's not necessarily the way it should be going. But who can tell Damian Lillard he shouldn't have a voice in this situation? And, and that's going to be interesting to see where it plays out. Terry Stotts. Uh, is, a, is a great coach. I don't know if you're going to get better than him. I don't know if anybody's going to get that team further than what Terry Stotts got them. And that was to the Western Conference Finals. They got swept, but they got there. Um, so it's going to be whoever steps into that is going to have their hands full in terms of what they need to do. It's going to take a veteran voice that these veterans on that roster will have to respect to do it. Yeah, and it's interesting when when you think about coaching vacancies, you can either go for the hot young assistant who started yeah. in the video room, or you could go with – one of one of the usual suspects, I guess uh, you'd yeah. say, but I, I think, yeah, if you're Portland, you do need somebody who is a veteran, but if you get a coach and I, and I, you know, let's assume that Jason Kidd and, and, and Lillard are tight. I don't know that you want basically to hire, you know, make sure you hire right. my best friend to be my coach because right. he's got right. to coach 16 other guys. Yes. Yes. And, and that can make it tough. And then what if that goes sideways? And again, Jason Kidd is known for having sort of an abrasive relationship with players. Uh, when he was a coach and, and sometimes that doesn't sit well if that goes sideways then you're Damian Lillard next thing you're going to do is ask out so they just hired a guy to bring there to, uh, to accommodate you and then all of a sudden you're going to have to get traded which is also something that a coach has to understand and, and look at too what is the true direction of the franchise can an owner in that situation sit down with a coaching candidate and say 
hey, we're definitely going to spin for the next two years. Damian Lillard is going to retire here, and this is your roster. Or is he, does he, is he going to be brave enough to say, well, we're going to go in a different direction and, and start this, start a reset right now? Um, that's a different level of coaching right there, right? It's a different pool of candidates who can take that kind of job. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out in Portland more so than I am with any other coaching vacancies that are going on right now elsewhere in the league as well. Yeah, it's very intriguing because, of course, Paul Allen has passed away, who was very, very hands-on with that franchise, and his sister Jody yeah. Allen is running it in a trust and not the, the basketball fan. Few people were basketball fans like Paul Allen. So, right. yeah, right. It, it, it's going to be a very, very intriguing summer in the Pacific Northwest. Well, you spoke of abrasive personalities and abrasive relationships. You do not have an abrasive relationship <laughs> with anybody. So we're happy to have you on the show. It's great to talk to you and uh, looking forward to uh, all the COVID regulations being off. So next year we can actually uh, spend some time courtside and, and chat in person. No question about it, Pete. Thanks a lot, man. Have a great offseason. The fantastic Michael Wallace with his insights on what's going on with the Memphis Grizzlies and what may be happening in the offseason. A lot of decisions to be made. Should be very, very interesting, and we'll chronicle it all here for you here on the Grizz Weekly Grind, where we ask if there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? Well, the answer is yes. Here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. 800 youth in Memphis are waiting for your decision today, so don't delay. Join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. Michael Wallace, a mentor himself and a great champion of mentoring. We appreciate his appearance on today's program, and we also appreciate the fact that this message is brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company. They've been serving Memphis for 70 years. They're a proud supporter of the Grizzlies Foundation. They're doing their framing consultations by appointment. Call Chris Garner at 901-685-7796. That's Chris Garner at 901-685-7796. And please do tell him that you heard about Garner Framing Company on the Grizz Weekly Grind. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, Episode 45, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.